You pour your heart into your business, you give to your clients, and you take care of your family and your community. And you put off taking care of yourself. When you only focus on doing, you bottle up your emotions, which taxes your body and depletes your energy. You struggle to show up, to keep up, and to create results. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross. About 10 years ago, I burned out of the only career I thought I'd ever have. I got divorced, and I was crushed with chronic illness and pain. Now I have a business that I love, a husband I can grow with, and my health is on track. Through the power of coaching, I have come to recognize the resilience and power I carry within my soul. You have this resilience and power as well. Welcome to Inflow with Soul, where we create the space for playful restoration. Space to pause, to play, and to connect with your soul. Because when you take care of you, your results will take care of themselves. All right, I would love to welcome you all to another episode of In Flow with Soul. Today, I have Cheryl Munoz. Miss Cheryl's the founder and owner of the Sugar Beet Schoolhouse. It's her dream job. To experience more meaningful connections to her local farmers and neighbors, she opened, along with hundreds of others, a cooperative grocery store in the village of Oak Park, Illinois, in July of 2015, called the Sugar Beet Food Co-op. And today we're going to learn more about this journey, about how Sugar Beet Food Co-op came into existence and has evolved from the original concept. So Cheryl, thank you so much for your time and for being with us today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's talk about first about about where you are today. You are in a very unique uh, environment. (laughs) That's great. So I'm here at the schoolhouse. And the schoolhouse is an interesting building. It's maybe, hmm, I think around 2,000 square feet. It's not that big. Not big. We have packed into it a commercial kitchen where um, our chef Holden is working today. He's making cinnamon rolls and dough because we're selling that at Riverside Farmer's Market tomorrow. And then uh, my two kids are helping him right now. My kids are 11 and uh, 13. And they need a little pocket money. <laughs> sure. So they're helping him in the kitchen. And then at the front of the building, we have our summer campers. And today they're making rainbow bagels. And oh. there's another group upstairs in our craft studio. And they are, um, it's called egg, the Egg Drop Challenge, where they try to build a, a vehicle to drop their raw egg out of the second story window and see if it (laughs) fantastic so there's stuff going on everywhere i am actually hiding in the greenhouse we have this sweet little greenhouse and um, it's actually nice and cool in here today because it's not that hot outside um so this was the quietest place so i'm hiding in the greenhouse today I love it. I love to be around plants. It just, and seeing the plants around you, I'm living with that vicariously. It's so much fun. Yeah. There's um, a group that works out of this space called um, the Potting Shed. And um, yeah, Desiree and Aaron have turned this little greenhouse into a a mini rainforest. It's awesome. That's fantastic. All right. So let's get into your story, Cheryl. How did sugar beets uh, come even into your imagination? So, um, well, maybe backing up a little bit, I, I've always been a creative person. And when I was a 
a kid, I didn't really know how to express myself. I, my parents, my mom's a nurse. My dad's a scientist. Um, there wasn't a lot of art in our house or, you know, anything like that. And, um, and I just wanted to make things all the time. I just always wanted to make things. And I felt frustrated for probably the first 15 years of my life because I just, I don't know if I had an outlet for this energy I just came with. I just came okay. all, I don't know, all like uh, wound up. And, um, and then, and then I met a really great artist. My high school art teacher really inspired me and I studied art in college, got a BFA in painting and, um, and started working in restaurants. I moved to Chicago from Kentucky and started working in restaurants and found food to be also super creative and learned a lot about wine. You know, I'd be painting during the day and working in restaurants at night. And I really loved the food world because it was so collaborative. Whereas my painting practice was very solitary. Sure. I found um, the food world just to like, you know, food and wine. Like you're talking about the the farmers, like it starts with farmers for wine. Right. So they're, right. you know, they're tending the soil and really paying attention to the weather and, and how that translates to a really lovely meal with wine. I just got so excited about all of the creative processes that went into eating and food production. And slowly but surely, I moved away from painting and into the food world. I um, okay. I became a sommelier. So I have a like a sommelier, I don't know, I'm a member of the the g- guild. Is there a guild? Yeah. <laughs> a guild. I have a pin somewhere. Okay. Um, and I, you know, worked at this wonderful wine bar and just, I love the whole, the whole like bon vivant life. Um, okay. and all of the people that would be a part of that. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I got married and had kiddos and things just, my career started to kind of, uh, take a back seat to raising children but again, sure. like creative thread, like, well, what am I going to do? I'm a stay at home mom. I don't have a big budget, um, but I've got these kids and I have these skills and these interests and these curiosities. Where can I apply all of this? And I started teaching myself how to can and preserve and bake and just do all of those like really kind of fun things that I could do with my kids. And sure. uh, it led to uh, really opening this food cooperative in um, my town of Oak Park um, okay. just to bring people together. Again, those farmers, um, all of the artisan food makers, and then all of the people who want to eat that kind of food. I just really wanted to be surrounded by that community. And mm-hmm. um, I, I also am really interested in alternative economies. Like how, how can we be more in charge of things? Like, how can I be more in charge? I don't really want all of my money going to, you know, the 1%. I would like to, our local right. economies to be vibrant and have more vitality. And um, I don't know. So the cooperative model really spoke to me and I joined up with a bunch of really amazing people and we made it happen. It was an exciting project. 
Okay. So that's a big leap from canning your own food and, and experimenting and playing around with that to opening a co-op. So what I'm hearing is a lot of curiosity. Like you're very curious about what can I do? You're curious about these other forms of economy. How can we support one another? How can we really even appreciate Mm-hmm. what we have, right? right? So how do you take this inspiration? And I feel this inspiration from you. How do you take that now and put this into action? Hmm. That's, you know, I feel like that's a million dollar question. Um, for, for this one, or even let's just say I've had 10 ideas that have played out into something okay. productive. I've probably done a back of the napkin on a thousand, right? So yeah, I think there's an intuition that I have. Um, I feel a lot of us, everybody has it, right? Everyone has right. intuition. I, I feel like, especially over the years, I've been able to trust mine more. Um, okay. Get to know it. So I'm not very afraid of failure. Let's just put okay. that out there. <laughs> I think a lot of entrepreneurs- do not fear failure. Um, mm-hmm. I meet a lot of business people because I have this commercial kitchen. And so I meet a lot of business people. It's their first time. They have this idea. They want to start making this product. They have some seed money. Um, they have stickers. They've got a website. Yeah. And if they're scared, they're probably not going to make the, take the chances that it might take to get to the next level. And so this, this evolution, this evolution of business, this evolution of curiosity, I feel like self-assuredness, um, even Mm self-love, you know, I don't want to get you like, (laughs) right. But like, I'll be okay. Like I'm going to be okay. No matter what, if I fail at this, if I disappoint everyone, I'm going to be okay. Like okay. it really comes down to that. Isn't that strange? <laughs> right? It's so yeah. okay. There were well, and believe in yourself. And believe in yourself. Right? right? Whether I fail or or I win here, I'm gonna be okay. Gonna Either be way. Okay. Um, I'm doing my best. I'm mm-hmm. gonna be okay. And I know I can work hard enough to fix most things. Or okay. I trust the people I'm working with. And I know that they're going to work hard with me so that right. we can fix problems. So that's, right. that's how it gets from point A to point B. Um, you know, all the practical stuff, like, you know, working late hours. Anybody of can course. really do that. But I think it's that self-love and that mm-hmm. trust that you can have in a good business partner or even a, a good mentor. Um, mm-hmm. That's been invaluable to me. Um, okay. So there, there have been times, and this is, this is interesting. I think about this sometimes. We borrowed a lot of money to open the co-op. If you don't understand co-ops, they're really not, they're not owned by anyone. They're owned by everyone. Everyone owns mm-hmm. the co-op together. So I think Sugar Beet Food Co-op now has over 3,000, maybe 3,500 owners. Wow. And those owners aren't really locked in. It's, it's voluntary. So if, owner number 623 wanted to move to the West coast, they could sell their ownership share back. So it's not like they're out money ever, right. but 
it's this collective decision. Um, we want to do something together and we understand like our $250 share is really <laughs> what makes it happen. Um, okay. So at some point we were borrowing, we we're borrowing money. And I think one of our, our lead kind of investors who was making loans to us um, said, I, I feel more comfortable if we had a plan B. And I, I started to really question this relationship. I was like, why plan B? What's wrong with plan A? Let's right. put everything into plan A. Like plan A is the best plan. Plan B is not yeah. going to get us where we need to go. I mean, plan B is failing. I don't want a plan to fail. I want a plan to sure. succeed. I want a plan to work harder. I want a plan to find another resource. I do not mm-hmm. want a plan to fail. Right. Okay. Not so let me, back, it, let me back up to this idea of trust. Because I think this is tied to this unwillingness of yours to create a failure plan as your backup plan, yeah. right? So a, a lot of the, a lot of times when, especially when I'm talking with women and we're talking about these ideas about trusting yourself and, and being willing to fail and they're like, well, yeah, but that's fine, but I've got kids to feed and I don't have a husband supporting me and I don't have all of these things. How did that fit into your story? Good question. Okay. So things have evolved. This is about evolution at all. So I was a stay-at-home mom, two little kids, and um, my their dad, my now ex-husband, was the breadwinner. And so even though I didn't um, contribute financially to our household at the time, I watched, I was the main caregiver, right? So he could Sure. Work. And so money was not an issue when I first started this. But it was also like, I don't know, 15 hours a week, like I put the kids to bed and then do this after, you know they were in bed um, okay. or on the weekends when their dad could watch them, I would go set up a booth to the farmer's market or something, or I would just have them quite frankly strapped to my back and, you know, tied to the table. <laughs> so sure. I do, I do the things um, they, re- my kids remember this time. And I think they remember it very fondly. Um, it was sweet. It was sweet to work together with them. But things have changed. Um, I was divorced a few years ago. And uh, at that same time, I was setting out to really um, invest my time in business number two. And I didn't have a safety net. I didn't, mm-hmm. I, you know, the financial outlook was very different. Um, and it motivated me. I was like, I, okay. I want to be in charge. I want to be in charge of my income. I want to be in charge of, um, my hours. Um, so I would say, yeah, I'm not going to go into debt. I am just okay. going to work as hard as it takes to be successful. Mm-hmm. And that's the plan. Again, I didn't really have a plan B. I mean, I would joke with myself, I guess I go yeah. fold shirts with the gap or so. I mean, I'm resourceful. Sure. I can make it happen. I can, yeah, I can't. Yeah. I could figure it out. I love that. I I think, is it Marie Forleo who has that book, Everything is Figure Outable? I totally believe it. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So this is one of your core values then. It's all figure outable. Like there's. Figure it out. Um, And if we can't, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Right. I don't, I don't know. What's the, 
I also have a very loving family. I have very loving friends. No one's ever going to let me fall so far. Um, I really, truly believe that. Like, mm-hmm. I put a lot of love into the world. I care for a lot of people. I believe it's going to come back to me when and if I need it. So mm-hmm. I just, I feel like I've invested a lot in my community. And maybe yeah. that's my safety net. It's just, no one's going to let me or my kids um, falter. Yeah, that's beautiful. It is beautiful. It really is something that makes me feel strong. Absolutely. Okay, so here's, you're feeling strong with your safety, uh, support your own belief in yourself, and now you're starting to connect with other people to bring this vision into life. Yeah. Or did we, did I miss anything in between there? No, um, we had an amazing board, uh, people okay. who had, you know, commercial real estate experience, um, financial experience and oversight, strategic planning, marketing, architecture. So it was just like the best of the best people come out of the woodwork. I, I just tell you, um, it was the best team. I, people make the work good. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I put, I mean, I get a lot of credit for this project, but it was so many people. Um, and then of course it was all the owners that signed up to be a part of it. Um, sure. One of, one of the original ideas for the co-op was to have a cooking school um, on site. So you'd walk into this like cool grocery store and, you know, maybe there's a class going on about, um, how to use flaxseed. I don't know, whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> right? Or what is this? Farmer showing <laughs> us, you know, what, what do you do with a rutabaga? Um, and yeah. then we got this awesome, uh, commercial real estate, um, and a good location and it just wasn't big enough for this little cooking school. So I planted that seed in the back of my mind because I was still really passionate about that idea. And when the co-op launched, I worked for it for about a year doing the marketing and outreach. And then after that, I was like, I'm ready to go. I want to go do project number two. I'm, I love starting these businesses and that, that creative process really is um, where I find a lot of joy and inspiration. So I'm sitting in the greenhouse of project number two. It's um, called Schoolhouse. Um, And uh, yeah, we're interested in making more of these happen. (laughs) Okay. So you started out with the the co-op. Yeah. And tell me, I don't know enough about food co-ops. Can you, can you give me like a little synopsis of how a food co-op works? It's just, it's really just a grocery store. So if you just walked in off the street, you wouldn't know it. It's just, it's like a health, healthy grocery store. So, um, it, but it's owned cooperatively by members of the community. Um, anyone can shop at a co-op. I'm speaking very generally. Um, there are a lot of co-ops across the United States. Um, some of them run a little bit differently, but most of them run like ours and that anyone can shop there. Owners get discounts. Owners get a vote, right? So mm-hmm. um, they vote on a board, and the board really directs the co-op. But it's it's a big grocery store. I mean, it has okay. a big staff, a general manager. Um, they, do, they do really well. Um, during the pandemic, a lot of people um, really liked working um, at the co-op because it was one of the safest places. Um, there were a lot of precautions, um, mm-hmm. 
And then shoppers loved it as well because the, I don't, just the values of a co-op really uh, cater to those most vulnerable in the community. So they're, mm-hmm. The co-op was really a leader in making a safe space for everyone to shop during the pandemic, and they did deliveries and pickups and all kinds of stuff. So it's proven to be um, a really successful store. And it, it sounds like community is really at the root of a co-op. Yeah, it's it's really about holding hands with one another and getting what everybody needs. Exactly. Um, and from my my perspective, I'm kind of more interested in it as a like a a marketplace so if if you made really amazing let's say you make the most amazing caramels right okay and you want to get your product out into the world how are you going to do that it's becoming increasingly difficult to sell retail because retailers are owned regionally right so okay like even grocery stores, they're not local mm-hmm. anymore. They're regional. Right. So they have these huge regional hubs where they ship out of, right? And so if you're mm-hmm. a small producer, it's nearly impossible to sell at a grocery store anymore um, because okay. everything's owned differently. It's Everything's big companies now. Right. And so the co-op is really a great place for small producers to have an opportunity to sell their goods. So if you're a small farmer, it's Mm -hmm. an opportunity for you to, you know, just drop off a couple of cases of this or that. You don't have to, you know, promise to have like, you know, 700 flats of broccoli, you know, it's different. It's a different scale and it's a more human scale. Um, And I like, I like that. I really think we need more of that. Everything seems to be going the other way, though. So co-ops really ground us in a human, compassionate kind of economy. And I'm glad you mentioned economy. That's I wanted to ask you about that next. How does this bring to life what you were you had mentioned at the beginning of this uh, conversation about your curiosity or interest in alternative economies? Tell me about how these two connect. Sure. So um, I sold wine for quite a while. I sold French wine, which I was very lucky to have that opportunity and um, really getting to know the farmers. Um, I worked with, a lot of people won't remember this, but there was this awesome place in Chicago called Sam's Wines and Spirits. It's a gigantic store. Oh my gosh. It was full of some of the best wines. We sold amazing stuff. It was so good. We sold so much wine that they would fly the, um, the farmers, the growers, the winemakers in to meet us. We had such, oh, wow. oh my gosh, it was a great experience. And so I would meet with these people. I mean, they still had this soil under their nails from their farm in France, right? And they would talk about like just the, I don't, just the economy, like how the economies work. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, their little piece of land was so important to the ultimate like end products that I was selling. I just became super passionate about this idea that like, you know, people have a place in this. Like it's not mm-hmm. generic or uniform or, you know, interchangeable. It's very 
special. Like we are yeah. all individual people with like a different, a different way of doing things and a, what we impart on a product or on a business or on a, even the children we raise is very unique and individual. Um, and smaller economies very much celebrate that. Um, as economies grow and become more systematic and I don't know, it's just, you know, everybody knows this, like it becomes more convenient, easier, whatever. Sure. And we can talk sure. about that all day, but what we're missing is really like seeing ourselves and what it is we're consuming. So I'm really right. interested in this like individual responsibility um, when it comes to consumerism. And a lot of the work I'm doing now is really inspired by my interest in that. Okay. Like that, that's a, a fascinating concept. What you, and, and I'm not going to remember exactly the words, but are I think you said, how do, how do we see ourselves in the things that we purchase or the things that we consume? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Like I'm thinking about how many times I go to the grocery store and I'm picking up packaged items because I recognize the package. I'm not even looking at necessarily what it is, right? I'm just going through my list, throwing things in the cart, checking out, and I'm not thinking about anyone who has done anything to to package, to create that product and to package it and to put it up there for me to grab and throw it into my cart. I know we we all do it. I mean, it's <laughs> natural. It's because sure. we're busy. We are so busy, right? So I can't. Right. I'm not going to take the time to even like as I eat something. I'm, I'm not. Whatever. We're all gobbling stuff down all the time. But when we slow down, I think that's right. where we really truly live, and we connect with each other. We connect with where we are. Right. We're on this yes. together. We connect with the animal, or you know, the terroir, the season right 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 i think that is just that's always been the greatest joy um is really the creative process of of, it's really a collaboration right who am i who am i in relation to this producer this wine producer this cheese producer this person who made these earrings or whatever right 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 Um, yeah. So I I love the connection between this whole idea of having that value of appreciating every all of the energies and people that brought these products to us. And then now you have this uh, school, right, where you're teaching kids to appreciate food. And, and I don't know if this is uh, intentionally taught, but I'm guessing that it certainly is part of your unspoken curriculum. Is that oh, true? It's 100% all of it. Um, okay. Kids right now are... Um, Younger and younger, they're just on phones. They're on tablets. And this past year, they've been on Zoom school. Like, they aren't in their bodies. They, much of the time, they're up in their heads. Um, We have so much fun here just slowing down. Today, they're making these rainbow bagels. It's a hoot. So they're working (laughs) with the dough. Is it too sticky? Is it too dry? Is it too this? I mean, I just, I love walking through the room and they're like, just covered in dough and flour and laughing and and super silly. And then at the end of the day, they're going to have this amazing product that they made themselves. And now they understand how something's made. So whether they grow up to be a baker or not, which 
99% of them will not. Um, sure. They, they will just grow up to appreciate some of this stuff more. And for the time being, just for this week or today that they spend with us, they're using all of their senses. So it's really mm-hmm. the embodiment of how we care for ourselves, how we care for each other, how we care for the planet. That's what we're really teaching them, like that joy. We're modeling yeah. that joy. It's not a chore to cook. Right. It's a privilege. It's not a chore to clean your table. It's mm-hmm. It could be a lot of fun. It's not a mm-hmm. chore to sweep. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Like, who told us these things were hard and right. boring? And I don't, yeah, who told us that? I know, you know, marketing tells us that they want to sell convenient things that take away, I believe, some of the natural joy of life. Um, Yeah. So I I honestly think as I'm reflecting on my 45th year here on this planet, (laughs) I'm just asking a lot of questions. Like, is that true? Is it true what Mm -hmm. I've been told? Um, Mm -hmm. Like, is it, is it true that getting older sucks? (laughs) (laughs) um it it doesn't seem to be true i'm 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 actually happier now than i've ever been like in my weekly spotty somewhat lumpy body like i'm happy (laughs) right so i just we just need to be a little bit more mindful i think i hope we're modeling that for these kids they're having a good time i don't know what they're thinking they're probably right right And that's not a bad thing too, right? Especially if, if, if they see you as something different or their experience, what they know is they feel different when they're at your place and they're engaging in those activities, even though some of the activities, like you were were talking earlier uh, about the egg, right? And, and making that transport, lots of science classes will do that, but there's, the the context in which that information or or that experience is set up makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, we we have a lot of engineers uh, in our midst, so they they love to just like take all the weird little recycling bits that we hang on to and just craft uh-huh. these strange little like pods for the egg. I don't know, just just fun, whatever. Let's be problem right, <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And I think t- this is all going back to, for me, as I'm listening to, it's all about slowing down because <laughs> my first career was in education. So I know the, you know, the kind of the lock, lockstep, here's, here's the curriculum for this grade. Here's the curriculum for this grade. You got to pass this in order to keep up. Right. Sure. Um, and there was, there's seldom time and, and talk to a lot of teachers. There's seldom time to slow down and just appreciate where we are. Um, and you seem to have found a way to make that happen. Yeah, I think so. I love it. Yeah. So, so how long is the school part, the, the camp and, and the kids, how long has that been a part of the co-op? Is that a separate business or is it related? So yeah, I have okay. to do with the co-op anymore. I just shop there and I haven't, Got it. I haven't been on the board or anything for years. Um, I just really appreciate what they've been able to to make out of it. It's a sure. wonderful store. Um, so yeah, so I've been on my own over here um, at the schoolhouse for almost five years, so four and a half years. Um, okay. 
And yeah. And now, you know, we're thinking of the next steps. Like all of our classes are full. We are at capacity. Um, there's just so much more that I want to do and I need more room. I need, I need another location. And I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to do location number two, why wouldn't I do three, four, five, six, seven? It, like, is this something that other communities would want? And I think mm-hmm. so. I don't think there's yeah. much out there like this. So it's really for that kid who's, you know, curious about lots of different things. I don't know. Like I have been reflecting on who I was as a kid. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that outlet. I, you right. know, I didn't, I didn't understand like what a culinary career might look like or, I don't know. So I I feel like Mm -hmm. there's a need for more of this. Absolutely. So is that the next big dream then for Sugar Beet Schoolhouse is to, I'm going to use the word franchise. You didn't use that word, but I don't really know what franchise means, but, um, okay. It's yeah. I would like multiple locations. And so right now, um, one of the women who teaches here, she's really interested in running one. Um, and she has a whole different um, skill set. She's actually off this week. Um, she's producing an opera. She's this amazing woman. <sighs> just She's a home cook. I'm a home cook too. Like I never went to culinary school, right? So, yeah. And I think that's better. Like, I, sure. I've worked with professional chefs here. And when they're teaching, they get a little like, oh, you know, the kids aren't doing it technically right. <laughs> I was like doesn't right. matter um right so she's she sews and she's made costumes for operas and she's just like an amazing homesteader and yeah so um I think we have uh um a really great synergy and are looking for a location she's also a yoga teacher like how cool is that like wow you know like if this program invites kids to be in their bodies mm-hmm. like yeah let's add yoga to it so i, I sure. get excited of when i meet other people who have similar visions or similar curiosities and skill sets um and she and i feel that about about this place like it gives us okay. an outlet for all the weird stuff we like to do <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah. let's go back then to the economy piece. Cause I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, how do you make money from oh. a business like this? Okay. Well, um, so the pandemic was a kind of a showstopper because I make money by having kids in the classroom. Right. So right. Say we have campers here. And then later on this afternoon, we have like a middle school camp. And on the weekends we have um, birthday parties are starting to happen again. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it's basically having kids come join us. Okay. And, okay. Um, it's, you know, it's just about getting kids in the door and mm-hmm. a lot of repeat families. I've seen some kids okay. for the last five years, I've seen them grow up from like oh, a wow. preschool program at two and a half years old. And now they're you know, they're almost as tall as I am. <laughs> sure. Um, so yeah. So we make money by programs. Um, okay. Sometimes we also go out into the community to teach. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll partner with libraries. Um, 
other organizations. Rush Day School is coming here for a few programs this month. Um, Great. Yeah. So there's lots of opportunity. Okay. So then thinking about that as, as you're growing, I, and I don't want, I, I have a tendency to want to jump ahead too far ahead. Right. And so as I'm even asking this question, I'm thinking about, oh, she's thinking about expanding. What does that look like? What are some of the challenges that that might bring to the, the core? But you seem to take things more as a once what's in front of me right now and what can I do with it? Yeah, I really don't think that far ahead. Um, okay. I really don't. I like, I remember kind of having this like mental kind of barometer when I was working on the co-op. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I knew what was next, but I also knew what okay. was far out ahead too. Like we needed to raise $1.8 million. Like that's a lot okay. of money. But if I right. thought about that number every day, I don't think I would have been able to do it. Like that's just right. a number. So I, I was always like, move the needle. Like what's the next number? What's the next goal? And a cooperative development kind of strategy is doing that not only with like the team that's raising the money, but with the community mm -hmm. too. So okay. once we hit this target, then we can go to the banks and ask them for money. And once we go to the banks, then we can look at, you know, this kind of lending opportunities. So sure. it was just always like, let's get to the next level. And then once we get there, then we'll take a, a breather and then we'll get yeah. to the next level. And it's just, I don't, it's just like anything, like trying to stay motivated to, to do that. Um, you yeah. really have to love what you're doing. And right. Um, yeah. So I love what I do. Has there ever been a day where you felt like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this? Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not my mind so much that doesn't want to do it. Sometimes my body doesn't keep up. Um, okay. Yeah. I have multiple sclerosis and sometimes I remember just working 12 hours and I can't leave the kitchen a mess. And I would just right. be so tired and so achy. And I would just, I would start to, I would start to feel very, very defeated. That's mm -hmm. been, um, yeah, it's just like sometimes my body doesn't keep up. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's frustrating. Um, but as I grow the business, I also grow more um, safety nets. So sure. more employees, more like even this week, I'm unexpectedly teaching these afternoon classes. And I know by seven o'clock I'm pooped. I'm just tired. Yeah. And I could totally do it by myself. But I also have two kids at home and right. I just, I, I need help. I need physical help. Yeah. So, so yeah, there are days where I'm like, Oh, why don't I just get a death job in the <laughs> air conditioning? Right. <laughs> It'd be so much right. easier. I wouldn't have to contend with this. Um, but yeah. Yeah. But it's not also where your passion is. Your passion isn't sitting behind a desk. No, I go nuts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I really like the way that, you know, this, this is clearly a very, um, 
physicality is something that is is challenging for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking about leverage, and, and when I say leverage, I'm talking about hiring people to do the things that your business needs that either you don't want to do or you can't do, right? Yeah. And I think that a lot of business owners, especially early on, are afraid to take that step to hire help. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. One is I should be able to do it all, you know, the superwoman or Superman mentality. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and another uh, is, well, I can't afford to, oh, to yeah. hire help. Have you come across either of those? I come across those things every day. I mean, okay. I'm such a DIY person. Well, sure. I can do this myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a woman, she's awesome. Her company is called tiny bold. And um, Allison's been working on a new website for me. Uh, and I'm kind of a, I'm a technophobe. I really, okay. computers make me nervous. I'd rather be potting a plant or making pasta. <laughs> 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 my, I think my job in, in our relationship is to do some of the work. And today I just emailed her and I was like, I will happily pay anyone on your team to do these things because either they're never going to get done or I'm just, I'm going to have to pull an all-nighter to figure out something that probably takes 15 minutes. Like, right. at some point, you have got to put a price on getting the work done. And if it takes you all day to figure out that algorithm or whatever that is, is it worth your time or is it worth your money? And I, I right. ask myself that all the time. So um, today, when I hired a helper to teach this class, I made that decision. I'm, I have mm-hmm. to pay staff. I have to pay labor. Right. It's worth it to me. It's because yeah. then I go home and I'm not so tired and I might stay up and do something creative or read something that helps the business or even just, you know, go for a walk with a friend. Mm-hmm. It's it again. I think that's an intuition thing. Like mm-hmm. you just have to listen to yourself you don't have to be a pro at everything. That seems silly, doesn't it? Yes. Right. That's never going to happen for me. (laughs) Yeah. We often think that they can do everything. They probably can, but who are we proving? What are we trying to prove? I'm not, I'm not every woman, Oprah, whoever said that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just myself. I'm not a technical wizard. I don't do it. I don't want to do QuickBooks. Don't make me do that. Right. 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 Well, and I think that goes back to what you were saying at the beginning too, about um, loving yourself. And in order to love yourself, you have to know yourself. And if you know that QuickBooks and I are never going to get along, find someone who can do that for you. Because there are a lot of people who love QuickBooks and who love numbers and will just have a good old party looking at and going through all of your numbers for you. Right. I actually listened to my body quite a bit. Um, I was uh, on a Zoom call with my accountant, who's amazing. And she was asking me some questions and I started to feel flooded. Like I started, I actually started sweating. And I was like, okay, Cheryl, what's happening to you? (laughs) And I was like, I don't know how to answer these questions. And I feel Mm -hmm. embarrassed. Mm -hmm. But that's when I should speak up and say like, this I'm in over my head. Can you help me with this? Like she's a professional and she's like, yes, I would love to help you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, exactly. This, exactly. This is when we like, I think as women, this is when we like, huh, what's that word? We like see our own gold, right? 
it's where right. you get nervous and you're like, ah, I feel like I'm going to fail. If you, if you look a little bit deeper, maybe push a little bit, that's probably, that's probably where you, you could use like a pivot, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, if you're, if you're uncomfortable doing that, that's probably where you need to ask for help. Um, right. Even help just teaching you how to do it. If you feel like you really need to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm lucky at this point in my career where I, I feel like it's, I don't need to learn how to do more things. I need to learn how to hire people to do those things with, with yeah. me. That's a great Absolutely. Place. I like that. Place. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, that goes back again to your whole uh, collaborative community approach to doing things. Yeah, and it gets fun. That's fun. It does. Right? Yeah. Work with fun people. You don't have to do it all by yourself. But yeah, for a few years, I tried to do everything. And now you know better. I know better. (laughs) And I, I will say, you know, I saved money doing it that way. And that money made it possible to be where absolutely so i i don't think i could have done it differently but yeah there were some long days where i was scrubbing ovens and mm-hmm. doing every little thing and i needed to do that that yeah but i don't need to continue doing that right so you know for those those listeners who are in that space where they're still putting in all of those extra hours because they're saving up money so that they can leverage yeah. out I love your strategies. You were talking about how you built your business. It's just like, what is the next number that I got to get to? Yeah. I'm not here forever. Um, Set out those benchmarks for yourself. That's just, that's the only benchmark you have to meet today or this week or whatever. Yeah. And when you hit that, then you'll hit the next one. Mm -hmm. So eventually then you'll have that reserve set up so that you can start leveraging out. And then you will also, having done all of that, know very clearly what I like to do, what I don't like to do, what I want to leverage out to someone else who needs to handle this at a much better level than I can, Yeah. right? So then you'll know what it is that you're looking for and be able to recognize it when it shows up for you. Yeah, and I think as I build, build to the next level, I'll probably have to kind of go back again, right? I, sure. I'm a little nervous about that. It's kind of like having a new baby. Like if I build another location, I know there's going to be some long nights. It's going to be, I'm not going to be coasting. I'm going to be doing uncomfortable things. But I think at each turn that I do this, I recognize, I recognize that. And I, I have to be ready for the next kind of baby. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like it's like the same process over and over again. Okay, we're going to do that. And I had to do that during the pandemic. Like I had to reinvent right. my business. And there were a lot of long nights. And uh, I, yeah, I was, I was really tired and yeah. scared. Um, and so did everything myself for a few months. Sure. But then got out of it. So goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness. Well, Cheryl, I really have appreciated hearing about your story, learned a lot from you today about cooperation. And, and for me personally, that whole example of not don't jump ahead and try to solve the whole puzzle here. Just look at where are you now and what's the next step? So I'm going to end. What's the next step for you? So the next step for me is, is to 
find another community that wants a schoolhouse. Um, okay. And again, I think that's going to be a collaboration between the community and me and this idea sure. and our staff here. So that's the next step is to build a strategic plan um, around, yeah, having another one of these in the world. <laughs> It'll be exciting. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I think so. So I then think. in closing, if someone's interested, they want to know more about what you're doing, maybe consider bringing that into their community. How can they get a hold of you? So I'm at um, sugarbeatschoolhouse.org. That's my website. But my web designer is working on the new one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which hopefully will be done by the end of the month. And it's iloveschoolhouse.com. So that's the new okay. one. iloveschoolhouse.com. But if you Google Sugar Beat Schoolhouse, it'll all pop up for a while. Great. Great. Yeah. And their contact form is on there. That's how they get a hold there. of you. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing yourself and your story with us today. I, you know, I just, I am so grateful for this opportunity. It makes me um, really happy to share, share this story. Thank you. Hi, this is Mary. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you are coming away feeling maybe a little inspired, maybe a little more informed, or maybe just rested. Most of all, I hope you're coming away feeling empowered. If you do, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. But most importantly, please pass along this sense of empowerment to your friends and to your networks. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you.